0: Yeah, well, he did some research and he looked into the uh, underlying documentation for this campaign where everyone was panicking. You know, National Science Foundation said that America was going to permanently fall behind on research because we did not have enough engineers. We didn't have enough researchers. We were totally screwed as a country. So he looked up the, the actual NSF documents and they said straight up in these documents that that was totally a lie.
1: All right, and we're live. So on today's episode, we've got an interview with AJ here. Uh, we had an interesting uh, conversation on Facebook that led to this interview. So let me go ahead and bring up the – this is uh, what got us started. And Thanks for having while... me on, Joe. Yeah. Well, thank you. So while folks read that, uh, why don't you just go ahead and give a quick intro of yourself. Who are you?
0: So I'm a conservative ghostwriter, uh, meaning I write in the name of, in the words of, conservative politicians, mainly to a pro-Trump audience. Uh, I've also done uh, you know, data analysis before for elections, uh, worked a lot of campaigns. So uh, you can't necessarily consider me an expert on economics, but you can consider me an expert on what Trump people think. Uh, <laughs> And uh, beyond that, uh, my dad was an economist. His dad was an economist. Uh, my dad was actually one of the Iran hostages. Fun fact. And uh, my mom's dad was a hostage in Colombia. Um, and that's how my mom and dad met. So so there we go. Uh, I'm a conservative ghostwriter constantly living in my father's shadow. Hmm.
1: That's very interesting. That's That's something, man. Well, hopefully you don't follow in their footsteps.
0: That's that's definitely yeah. <laughs> the plan. But then again, I am in Northern Virginia, you know. Mm-hmm. So my dad was taken hostage by Islamists. My granddad was taken hostage by Marxists. So you know, for all I know, Richard Spencer could show up here with some neo Nazis and uh, complete the Hollywood trifecta Jeez. of yeah. uh, of terrorist terror. So um, we'll see. Hasn't happened yet. Good.
1: So uh, getting back to the tweet or not the tweet? The uh, I keep saying that the Facebook post. Yeah. Uh, let me bring that back up so we have it so as I was saying behind the scenes when we were in the green room it's uh, I see it as being less anti-capitalist and more anti-globalism and being a Trump supporter I would imagine it's more nationalist but when people hear nationalist it's like oh it's not what people think it's just you're not wanting a lot of H-1B visas allowing people to come into the country and then putting Americans out of work or suppressing wages And that seems to be a very consistent theme in people that are like pro late stage capitalist uh, motifs. It's that wages hasn't gone up in the last 40 years. Well, there's a lot of reasons for that. One is the supply of, it's supply and demand is what it is. When the supply of labor goes up, yeah, wages are going to stay down. That's just the natural order of things. Uh, If you have, if you double the available pool of M&M's, well, then the prices of MMs are going to just stay flat or go down. That's just the way it is. So, yeah, I see a lot of uh, what you were saying
0: before. I, it's interesting. That's why I had you on. All right. Well, uh, I'll, I'll go a step further than that. All so right. it's not just that, uh, um, you know, I want higher wages for American workers, which I think everybody should want, and it kind of uh, drives me nuts when you see in, on CNN or in the New York Times people talking about, oh, you know, it, it could really slow economic growth if wages go up. Wages going up is the point. Are yep. you are you high? All right, so so that's uh, my step beyond that is that a lot of this economic activity, a lot of this uh, this outsourcing, a lot of this importation of foreign work, labors uh, labor, is not actually producing anything. It's not producing any wealth. My point is that uh, speaking broadly, you are not a boon to the American economy if you import, say, a million workers and you save X amount of money uh, for your company, but you cost the country significantly more mm. because those workers are either half of them are on welfare, number one. And number two is a lot of them are, say, committing crimes and dealing drugs and killing people, you know rape, whatever. And I'm not saying that all immigrants are like that. Most legal immigrants are less criminal than your average American. But the reality is is that on a cost-benefit basis, that increase in profit for the company does not translate to an increase in wealth for Americans or pretty much anyone. uh, It it is a less than zero-sum game when you're, you're basically... Uh, creating conditions where, um, where yeah, the company's making money, but you're not actually producing any other wealth. You're just mm-hmm. shifting costs onto other people, which is why I broke it down into three parts. So, rent seeking, uh, and oh, geez, we're, we're, let's take a look at my tweet again. My, my tweet, not my tweet, yes, my Facebook. yeah, so uh, <laughs> rent seeking, leveraging externalities, and wealth transfers from workers and taxpayers pay, uh, to shareholders. So, um, let
1: me stop you for just one second. So, I think you're touching on something it. that's really important. So, I grew up in the Midwest in the Rust Belt, and I saw the firsthand effects of what happens when you start outsourcing a lot of these jobs or bringing in foreign workers to, to displace the American, the, the, the local workers. Yeah, and
0: sorry, there's a cat here.
1: That's what I thought it was. Okay, so <laughs> yeah, so. Uh, it all goes back to Ross Perot and that giant sucking sound of jobs going overseas or
0: even the country. Yes.
1: And I was at ground zero when that happened. This is one of the reasons I voted for Trump is he's bringing these
0: jobs back. People don't you know, remember that Ross Perot was a real contender. He could have yeah. won the presidency if he hadn't had like a personal breakdown in the last couple of months. Well, he
1: backed out of it and then he
0: came back yeah. in.
1: It, it, it is what it is. But what he said was spot on. He was president in that sense. NAFTA came about. Jobs went away. So now here we are on the back end 25 years later. Yeah, about that. No. Yeah, about that. And uh, <clears throat> closer to 30 years. And geez, time's flying. And now we're yeah. seeing this reverse with Trump where he's bringing—he's kind of like throwing the walls up physically and, and you know metaphorically. Yeah. And he's uh, changing the game. And a lot of the globalists who are in charge of these companies or billionaires can't stand it. Because now they're going to, their access to cheap labor on, is going away. Cat, shut up. Sorry. <laughs> so yeah, that access to cheap labor is now going down
0: mm-hmm. and that's,
1: that's a problem because it's going to impact profits in a sense, but it, you've got to do this balancing act between corporate profits and satisfying your tax, uh, your, your shareholders, which is me. Mm-hmm. And then you've also got to balance it against what's good for the American economy. Americans in general, bringing in cheap labor from overseas is not the answer in my opinion. And we saw this over the last 25, 30 years when GM closed factories, different companies closed factories, and so on and so forth. Because the, the work isn't going away, it's just going overseas for the cheap labor. And it makes sense from a taxpayer or from a, uh, a shareholder perspective. But at the same time, because you're getting that cheap labor, you're going to lower the amount of costs. Mm-hmm. The, the revenues stay the same if they're generally speaking, but their net income goes up. It's the same thing when you see uh, mergers and they start slashing the workforce. I can't blame the management. That's smart if there's cost yeah. savings to be had. But at the same time, you've also got to balance it against what's good for Americans. And this is where I like Trump, what he's been doing from that sense. We are limiting the inflow of cheap labor. And we're also putting the tariffs on Chinese goods and all that. So it makes sense to build locally, source
0: locally as much as possible. We haven't been doing that the last 30 years. Mm-hmm. The interesting thing, by the way, is that it's not just cheap labor. Um, I would recommend that uh, people look into the papers written by Eric Weinstein. So he's this uh, yeah lefty uh, physicist and mathematician who wrote literally 20 years ago, 2002, this paper about uh, you, you remember the um, you know the crisis of a labor shortage in engineers yeah. and researchers in the 90s. Yes, I do. Um, yeah, well, he did some research, and he looked into the uh, underlying documentation for this campaign where everyone was panicking. You know, the National Science Foundation said that America was going to permanently fall behind on research because we did not have enough engineers. We didn't have enough researchers. We were totally screwed as a country. So he looked up the, the actual NSF documents, and they said straight up in these documents that that was totally a lie, that, in fact, uh, they knew – that the current, the the then, extant market conditions meant that wages were going to go up, for researchers and uh, and engineers, and that they were going to have to hire more women and minorities, and you know that, those are traditionally the things that happen when you have a labor shortage. Labor shortages don't exist in the long term, in capitalist free market societies.
1: And that's kind so, of getting back to what we were saying. It's yeah. if you allow a free market to be the free market without, it's it's a balancing act. You've got to be, do you want to be insular and then risk shortages? But then you're saying that there was no shortage. It was all a myth. So if Well, there, I mean, there
0: was a shortage temporarily, okay. which would have been solved if they allowed wages to go up. But they said specifically, explicitly right. in the documents, our government was saying that, no, it's in America's interest to drive down wages for scientists. So they lobbied successfully for all of these visa carve-outs to get tons and tons of foreign researchers and engineers to come to the United States, which arguably is good for the country in certain ways. But uh, Weinstein details how this kind of created this interesting ghettoization, he calls it, where by lowering uh, working conditions and lowering wages, paradoxically, this exacerbated an uh, an actual shortage of engineers and researchers because Americans didn't want to go into these fields and have to compete with somebody from China, communist China, which is, by the way, a totalitarian, like communist state right. that has been stealing tons of our intellectual property. And every couple of months, you see in the news about how you know some you know dual-use technology or even just some civilian technology is being stolen by the Chinese. And that's part of the reason why is because we just you yeah. know brought in a ton of foreign laborers from totalitarian societies to research our technology for us and just get totally, our minds are blown when they start stealing our tech. So check this out, right? So with Trump's tariffs,
1: we know that Trump uh, that uh, China, China, they steal a lot of our IP, just like you said. And this is one of the reasons why I've been investing in Microsoft, even though they're still at all-time highs. They're one of my top four companies. Mm-hmm. If, this is a big if, big 48-point bold font, if yeah, we can get them to stop pirating, all of the software that they're stealing, Microsoft's income, their revenue from operating system sales would double overnight. Absolutely. So that's a ton of potential upside from this renegotiation we're doing with China. So it's just a a quick departure from that. Actually, I think uh, (laughs) relevant
0: to from, again, I'm not an expert on economics. I just grew up talking about it. Um, But uh, how can I say that? And I've studied it a lot, but um, when it comes to the president's trade deals, you know vis-a-vis you know your your viewers, what they care about, the market. I think that the market is uh, is definitely expecting President Trump to succeed here. and the market <clears throat> is expecting that even, even I mean at this point, if you look at the fundamentals of what's going on with Trump and China, uh, we're gonna win. The Chinese can't oh, yeah. hold out forever. They are completely well, I think we already dependent have. on us.
1: I absolutely think we already have. We're already over the hump. It's yeah. just the writing's on the wall. We're just waiting for them to finally acknowledge it and start giving concessions. Well, uh, and, and this coronavirus thing. Yeah. It's what's a perfect our, what's example.
0: The what is? Uh, the coronavirus thing is a perfect example. Hmm. This is a totalitarian society where, you know, uh, a handful of people locally get this brand new virus and the local officials cover it up. Um... People, you know, doctors who try to speak out, blow, try to blow the whistle, end up disappearing. And then uh, the state is like, oh, yeah, this person died of the virus. Sure, buddy. Sure. That
1: actually happened and, with one of the uh, the, the lead yeah. guys that tried to get the word out. He ended up uh, catching it and died within yeah. a couple of days. What, Which, what, I what mean, just, you know, absolutely he true. ended but up catching
0: it? it and died.
1: Well, for those <laughs> that don't know, their uh, infection rates shot up, almost doubled. It went up by 15,000 or so people overnight because – Two individuals, two officials were busted cooking the books.
0: Oh, and they actually
1: they fired them. They trying to get rid of those guys. Yeah, fifteen thousand new cases. I forget what the actual death rate. It skyrocketed though by because they've been cooking the books, like you said. Even they're hiding it.
0: Cooking the books. One of the things that they've been doing. This is something that local whistleblowers have been saying. And Mm -hmm. it's it's tough to tell what is truth and what is lies in a totalitarian dystopian nightmare society. Right. But the whistleblowers are saying. Uh the police are going around and welding people's doors shut.
1: So they're not just saying it. We've seen it on yeah, uh, online. Exactly. On video. Got
0: it on video, yeah. Yeah. And then they're saying that everybody who dies because the government disappears them or locks them in their homes, it doesn't count as the, you know, part of the official death rate. So Really? Yeah. This is something that oh yeah, absolutely. That's that's part of the game. Wow. Is that uh You know, if if the government, if if you don't die in a hospital after receiving a formal diagnosis, you don't get to be part of the official death rate. I've never heard of that. Yeah, no, that's, so we can expect things will be much worse in China. I don't know. At the end of the day, maybe uh, their totalitarian psycho measures will work to certain degrees, but, um, or, and maybe also just people will avoid infection on their own and, you know it'll it'll fizzle out but at the end of the day like this is this is the um, the kind of exposure we lend ourselves to when we make one of our primary trade partners a dystopian communist slave yeah. state and then we're surprised when they do dystopian things <laughs> like this and yeah. just, we're, and, and we're going to be surprised when china ultimately collapses that's something that uh, you know when it came to the soviet union Everybody, all of the, you know, the uh, the hoi ploy, Uh, well, yeah, the hoi hoi ploy like us were saying that, you know, the Soviet system is disgusting. It's going to collapse. Reagan was saying the Soviet system was going to collapse. Soviet dissidents said that the Soviet system was going to collapse. But all of the Washington establishment experts said that the Soviet Union was going to keep on going forever. And we just had to make peace with them. And then they they just completely imploded and nobody was prepared to deal with it. That's what's that's what's going to happen at some point with China sooner or later, be it, you know, 10 months or 10 years or even 100 years. Who knows? But like their system is completely unsustainable. And right now, one of the things that that uh, came out, I think it was a an IBD article uh, about how the um, we're looking at. Uh, serious problems in our supply chain for responding to epidemics because something like 80% of our precursors for creating antibiotics in the United States come from China.
1: That's a problem. Yeah.
0: and This goes back to being,
1: we're not self-sufficient yeah. anymore.
0: Absolutely. Well, and here, here's, here just goes to a broader kind of rule on, on tariffs, which tariffs, they undoubtedly, they, they reduce the efficiency of economic activity. You know, barriers to trade undoubtedly do that. But at the same time, you have to look at it not as a purist, uber-capitalist kind of thing. Because, yeah, I'm basically an uber-capitalist. I understand that, in general, tariffs are bad. But are tariffs worse than the alternative? And the alternative, in this case, is making our country dependent on being supplied by a slave state that may be our enemy in World War III. Um, World War II itself, a lot of people don't, you know, think about the the – economic, um, the the economic backdrop of that war, where Hitler was desperately trying to get oil uh, and where, you know, other countries were dependent on steel. And at the end of the day, we had tons of both. Mm-hmm. So that's part of the reason why we came in and we just stopped everybody at the end of it. Uh, and also, you know, the economics of the totalitarian systems of the soviets and the germans they just did not work in the long run they did not work as well as the theory on paper said it would Um, Well, that seems
1: that's always the case with a lot of those styles of government Socialism is a key example of that
0: yeah well and yeah yeah, so the question is is so uh under, under the pure free trade model where there are zero barriers to trade zero tariffs whatever we end up number one in situations where uh we are uh, dependent on possible enemies or unreliable actors in order to do basic things like produce medicine. Well, this uh, gets, or, oh, I'm going to pause
1: yeah. you right there. This actually gets to a, a key point. A free market works when everybody's playing by the same rules. So if we're doing it internally as a nation, that's fine. Mm-hmm. And the problem like you were just kind of keying in on is when it starts playing, when we start interoperating with other countries and expecting them to play by the same free market rules, That only works if they're acting in good faith. And Mm -hmm. this is where China has it. A lot of these other countries have not. This is why we've had to implement
0: these tariffs in recent times. There's the other thing, too, which is that, uh, all right, so American security, the American military basically polices the world. And if tomorrow we just decided to slash our military in half, just like what Bernie Sanders is saying we should do, or, or more, or worse, then... You know, we would basically cause the world economy to collapse because all every two-bit dictator would realize that now it's time to play. Like it's 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 go time. And no, you're not uh, wrong. Under the the, the pure free market, no tariffs, no barriers to trade system, the value of a you know, ten dollar an hour worker in Dayton, Ohio is equal to a two dollar worker in Mexico or in Vietnam. And one of the things you got to ask yourself is, number one, can we count on Mexico or Vietnam be with us when everything hits the fan?
1: Hey, can you get can can you you back, back, 3... back the train up the tracks just a little bit? So how does that correlate to the low-wage workers
0: being um, so allies? When, so when you're talking about outsourcing, um, which, what you're basically doing is you're saying that, okay, labor is cheaper in India, Mexico, Vietnam, wherever. Mm-hmm. So it makes economic sense to have those people doing the labor and Americans not doing the labor because Americans are more expensive. That's just the pure economic argument. Well, it is. But the
1: question then becomes, who's going to buy the goods if they're only making $2 an hour in these other countries and you've just eliminated oh. the jobs? The answer is
0: simple. The answer is simple. The people in uh you know the the rich liberal coasts. Like that, that is the answer. the The analysis has been done, and they found that uh, while overall GDP rises to a certain degree, uh, what you see is a wealth transfer, basically, which is one of the things I was talking about. Uh, you see, basically, the money flows differently. The money flows to the richer people, the cosmopolitan people. Um, it flows, for instance, to the people who um, you know hire illegal aliens to. Uh, raise their kids for them or mow their lawns or clean their Mm. toilets. Those are the people who are, are, are winning and succeeding. And the, you know, industrial workers in the Midwest are losing and dying off and, you know, killing themselves with fentanyl. And uh, yeah. So, and this gets to the point of
1: what we talked about this behind the scenes. This is one of the reasons why I started this channel is to, it's the red pill of finance for a reason. And it's that secret knowledge, that hidden truth that people can now do something that they've never been able to do before. And it kind of juxtaposes against your statement a little bit that this is the first time in human Mm -hmm. history we've had access to the tools of building wealth. Namely, we've had the removal of the barriers to entry to the stock market. That being trade fees and the introduction of fractional shares. Mm -hmm. All it takes to become a millionaire now is $100 a month, an M1 finance account, and about 40 years at the average market rate of return. That's all it takes. If you can get an IRA, a Roth IRA, you max Mm -hmm. that sucker out, you'll have several million dollars. If you start at 18, when you hit 59 and a half, you will be well into a multimillionaire status. Yeah, All it takes is time. It's that compounding interest, uh, the power of compounding interest. What uh, Albert Einstein once called the eighth wonder of the world. Correct. Those who don't understand interest, pay it. Those who do understand interest, earn it.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's and also it's important for Americans to understand that. Uh, yeah, you really do have to. You can't count on Social Security. Right. You, know, you can't count on Social Security to be there for you. You can't count on Medicare to be there for you. You can't count on the government to bail you out. And nor should uh, you. That's yeah. the key and thing. I think we've got to reframe our thinking nationally
1: absolutely. to be more uh individualistic and ruggedly uh, self-sufficient.
0: Mm-hmm. and Entrepreneurial, if you will. Yeah. That
1: too, but also less reliant on the government. And mm-hmm. one of my cousins just made a good point about this, and she's kind of echoing stuff that Candace Owen says, that the introduction of, uh, was it, the road to hell is paved in good intentions. And we saw this in the urban black community, of which they are a part of. And you've had all of these bleeding heart liberals who just threw money at that community to raise them out of poverty. And all it did was it just destroyed the nuclear family in those communities. Absolutely. And, And I like that they're thinking outside the box in a sense of, look, we need to get that out of our heads and start focusing yeah. on what oh, we can happening. do it's, to build. It's wealth. happening
0: to the rural white community too. If you look oh, at yeah. it, it's, it's know, happening everywhere in the country.
1: Yes. Yeah. yeah. I mean, if you look being at being uh... reliant on welfare, the government as provider, father, and so forth, is a yeah. huge problem that's affecting everybody throughout the. Uh, sorry, cat hair too. Oh yeah. It's through uh, throughout the country. Yeah. It's, no, it's it's, it's 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 terrifying. Well, so, but like you yeah. said, the wealth is being concentrated on the coasts. On the coasts. Whereas everybody in the middle of flyover country, they're really suffering, and I think this is why Trump is so popular. He's giving these people hope, and, and he's also walking the walk. He's bringing these jobs back. Abracadabra, bitches.
0: Yeah. So yeah. Yeah, it's uh, it's pretty interesting the way that it's shaking out. I think. Uh, well, yeah. The the point that I I didn't want to forget was that um, you know, when it comes to tariffs, whatnot, is. Okay, so uh, the value of labor is basically the same in a completely uber capitalist mindset between somebody in America versus somebody in, you know, the uh, in in Vietnam, somebody in Mexico, whatnot. Um, Americans beat the evil empire, two evil empires. You know, we we beat the Soviet Union, the most evil mass murdering. Okay, maybe the second most mass murdering uh, country in the history of the world. Yeah, China is the biggest. (laughs) Yeah, China. China is by far the biggest mass murderer in history. Was it uh, Mao? Uh, hmm? Yeah, Mao. Mao I yeah. think. Yeah, he. Uh, the 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 great leap forward, the Cultural Revolution. They killed like, I think, well over a hundred million people over the course of a generation.
1: Uh, between um, the, I think all the co- all the communist socialist countries together was like 120 over the last in the last century.
0: Something or, like that. Yeah. No. Like yeah. basically. A dozen holocausts stacked on top of each other. That's communism in a nutshell.
1: That nobody seems to
0: talk about. Nobody. Yeah, exactly. But, uh, but yeah, so we, we beat Hitler. We beat the Soviet Union. Don't Americans get like a little bit of uh, credit for that? I mean, at the end of the day, why are we setting up our economy such that American workers are worth the same or less than workers overseas? I'm, I'm just asking because an American worker here, there are all sorts of barriers to hiring American workers. There are much less barriers to hiring foreigners to do the same jobs. You yeah. know and that's, and when I say barriers, I'm including mm-hmm. um, not just all of our HR laws, which it, paradoxically don't actually help workers a lot of the time. Um, all of the you're liability... getting right back
1: to what I was saying earlier about with the uh, the welfare state and how it keeps people down. Exactly, it keeps them you know, in line. It's, it's it's really. Let me give you an example. Like what you're just talking about is really, really true. Cause I had a friend of mine, he had his own small business. He was a small business owner. He had employees and it was unsustainable. It was just too much frustration. He just said to close the close, there was other factors too, with the rent going up 300% oh, yeah. in like five years, but it just, it stopped being a fun, economical pick, take your pick. So yeah. he ended up closing the business and now he does, uh, he still has the company, but he does it himself out of his house. Basically he'll go and do uh individual sales at events. But yeah, the brick and mortar business had to close. Yeah. And a lot of it was just, it was just too problematic to hire people. So yeah, now no. these are, these would have been good jobs for high schoolers to do part-time after work went away because of Maryland labor laws are just too onerous to put up with
0: oh, unless yeah, you've no, got it, a
1: huge company where you can have dozens of people.
0: Yeah, I've, I've worked. Uh, so I, I grew up in Maryland. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I I grew up mostly overseas, but from high school age on, like, you know, I I grew up in Maryland and about, I graduated college right after Lehman Brothers collapsed. Oh, So yeah, with, with, with an English degree, which is just so great. I use it every day, the most useful degree. And uh, yeah, I was desperately trying to survive about half a dozen companies that I've worked for in the 10 years plus since then have gone out of business. I've seen that firsthand uh, these, you know, mom and pop kind of operations uh just struggling and failing under the weight of oppressive uh regulation and uh and you know a lot of it being just you know local municipalities they just come over with the inspector and they're like oh you know you've got to pay a 500 hundred dollar fine because your pipes are pointing the wrong direction doing this that and the other thing it doesn't actually do anything but that's the rules so you got to give me money now yep it's like it's highway robber- robbery robbery you know, for the modern age, all of these direct and indirect taxes.
1: And it's the taxes that are what it really comes down to. If we just went back to 1990s level, it'd be be a better world. But me personally, I like to see things go back to the way they were a hundred years ago. Get rid of all of the taxation, all the regulation. And a lot of it is is also these government agencies that have no purview for existing. Um, Give you an example is the uh, Department of Education, Department of Energy. Get mm-hmm. rid of them. There's, they don't have any justification for a living. Department their of ex, Education, yeah. No. Their no. existence is perfect examples of scope creep at the federal level. Now, there's nothing stopping individual states from rolling their own and then coordinating in, if they want to. A lot like you've got the SEC and these different um, uh, NCAA conferences. Mm-hmm. I could imagine something like that happening from a coalition standpoint. If Ohio wants to have better water purity and all that so people forget that like lake erie and mahoney river they both caught on fire back in the 60s and 70s oh yeah <laughs> so I, was, I remember hearing about that because there was so much pollution and that was one mm-hmm. of the reasons the epa came into existence well that was an ohio problem not a federal problem yeah so why did we have this giant federal organization come into existence when people in
0: ohio should have been the ones demanding that they fixed it well and now so, the epa is is uh, has decided that it has the power to regulate carbon dioxide
1: and then yeah. also you've got the EPA they can tax you Why? for
0: breathing if they want or something.
1: <laughs> also you got to look at the militarization and the police state yeah. that's grown out of this in a sense where all these different government agencies now have their own little mini armies and police forces. Why? Yeah. Why? They don't that no, get rid of that crap. Yeah. So that's from a, a libertarian standpoint if it's not in the constitution, get rid of it.
0: This is this is actually interesting. All right, so I don't remember exactly where the study was done. But uh, yeah, going back to economics, one of the, the Keynesian school thoughts uh, is that uh, if you would just have the gu- the, the money, ah, sorry, the government come in and spend a boatload of money, you're going to stimulate the economy. And that's something that is considered sacred by liberals. That's what they believe uh, is going to. Bring our economy into the 21st century, Call yada, yada. Is Hoover Dam. Yeah. I mean,
1: it, it can so, work in the short term, but
0: it's not a long-term fix. It's a short-term solution actually, to a problem. Actually, it didn't problem. even work in the short term. That's oh, the really? funny part. No, this this is great. So, um, you know, Obama's shovel-ready jobs. Oh, don't get me started uh, on that. Oh, yeah. And, so so there's this massive stimulus package that got passed by, uh, by Congress, signed by Obama. And there was a study done after the fact, I believe by Harvard, where they showed that actually – Economic growth slowed in a, in the places, on average, in the places where the money was spent. And the reason why is because that money was not spent on infrastructure. The yep. money was spent on more regulators and bureaucrats.
1: So I remember when this happened, there was actually – a uh, PJ Media did an article on this, and it's awesome. I'll have to put, post the link down below. So when he did this, he said, we're going to do all these shovel-ready jobs. We're going to get these men back to work. And men were, I think, 80% of those got that got – laid off in that 07, 08, 09 timeframe. When he said this, feminist groups flipped their shit and then started attacking him and went in there and said, look, you can't do that. We need all of our money too for our jobs. But nobody thought the things like, well, yeah, but you guys don't need it. But they buckled and they gave yeah. all these different women's organizations all this money, billions of dollars that they had no need for at the time. Yeah. So you had all these jobs that were all these programs that were lined up to get funded. A lot of them didn't even get the money. And it was, oh, uh, let see if I can find the article right quick. It was really, yeah, it's just mind-blowing how he buckled like that.
0: Yeah, that you know, it is, it is fascinating that basically, um, you know, we basically have proof positive that economic stimulus does not work if you use the money uh, to hire more bureaucrats to ruin the lives of actual entrepreneurs who are actually creating wealth. Mm. It's uh, It's fascinating. Because it goes against what, you know, it, it, it disproves uh, what liberals have been saying for years, which is that, yeah, if you just drop money out of the helicopter, it's going to make America better. Well, no, it turns out if you drop money out of a helicopter into the hands of people that are actively hurting the economy, then no, it does not help. Um, there was a there's a great book, uh, After America, by, um, uh, let's see, this this. uh this Canadian cat. Um, Oh, geez. Hmm. Mark Stein. There we go. Mark Stein, one of my favorites. Hmm. So, um, yeah, no, you, so we wrote this, uh, this great book basically arguing what I've been arguing, which is that, you know, America is the, um, the fulcrum upon which the entire global economy depends our security uh, is what the entire global uh, economy depends on. Our research, so our drug research is every, oh, Christina Hoff Summers. Love Christina Hoff Summers. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, our, um, you know, uh, the world, um, you know, medical welfare state depends on America in order to function, period. Um, so, after after we go socialist, all of these other social states can, are going to collapse because they depend on us to research the medical procedures wow. and technology that they need in order to hand out, you know, for free-ish uh, healthcare that sucks and provide drugs for extremely cheap that Americans pay a premium on. Uh, but yeah, one of the things he pointed out was at the, as, as of the time <laughs> of writing that book, if you add up the... Um, Federal, state, and local spending by government and also the spending by government contractors, that's over 50% of the entire economy.
1: As can, of you, like, can, you, can you say that again? Because this is important. I think people need to hear this. Yeah,
0: this is really wild. So as of the time that uh, Mark Stein wrote that book, which I, I think was you know 2011, something like that, if you added up all of the spending by government, so that's state, local, federal, and also contractors – that was over 50% of the entire economy. So half of the American economy was regulating the other half. If you, th- I mean, it's, it's insane if you think about it. When the government 100 years ago used to be like 5% of the American economy, and the American economy was gangbusters. Yep. Uh, so, so yeah, that, and that's, that's part of the reason why growth has been so sluggish, why Americans have been suffering. Now, uh, the other thing he pointed out was that uh, if – so pe- people are, are are talking about how – one of the things economists talk about is that your, your country is in trouble when your uh, your debt as a country exceeds 100% of your yearly product, your gross domestic product annually.
1: Well, yeah, so, you're bankrupt at that point. It's just like anybody else. If you're spending more than you're making, you're bankrupt.
0: Exactly. Well, yeah, If if, if what you make in a year is – significantly less than what you owe total, you're in serious trouble. Now, what he did was he did the math was if you actually, uh, you know, look at the American economy, the American government, like a business, like an actual, you know, how, you know, you follow generally accepted accounting procedures, (laughs) and you factor in uh, the unfunded liabilities in the future. So Social Security, Medicare, all of that, If you do the math there, not only does American debt exceed the uh, gross domestic product of the uh, American economy, but of every economy on the planet put together, period. Wow. That's, That's a lot of money. That's pretty heavy, yeah. Yeah.